0: Last thing I ever thought I would be when I was growing up was a follower of Jesus. I come from the kind of family that I I know you all care about because I know uh, Pastor Ken and Holly care About uh, I come from the kind of family where my parents gave me the best of everything they could, but Mom and Dad did not know Jesus when I was growing up. Uh, so the only hope that Mom and Dad could offer to me was hope in me. Now I don't know anybody here ever lived with hope and nothing past yourself. I mean, you know, a couple got here to cut some chuckles. Like yeah, I, I and it and it beat me up, and I can't even raise my hand today. You know, uh, I, I lived with hope and nothing past Stephanie for almost 22 years. And hope and nothing past Stephanie led me to what I found to be uh, really a pit of um, pretty deep disillusionment um, and paralyzing fear. I, I just, I lived with paralyzing fear. Uh, when I was 18 years old, if you had asked me what the gospel message was, I'm pretty sure I could not have told you. Um, I knew it had something to do with God, and I might have been able to bring Jesus' name into it, just you know, hearing it growing up here in the States. But if you'd asked me the gospel message at 18, I don't think I could told you. And I was raised here in the United States. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, you would think that in 18 years, you would bump into the gospel a little bit more, that you could at least explain it. But four years of high school, I don't remember meeting one Christian. If anybody in my high school knew Jesus, nobody was talking about him. So I tell people all the time that when I graduated from high school and went on to my university campus, that God was the farthest thing from my mind. I love to tell people though that I was not the farthest thing from his. (laughs) I stepped onto my university campus and there was a ministry called Chi Alpha on the campus, and the students of Chi Alpha understood something. They knew they were not uh, students who just so happened to be Christians but they were Christians whom God had called to live their faith out loud during their four years at the university. You know what I'm saying like that? If you work in, in, in the bank, you're not a, a, a banker who just so happens to be a Christian, but you are a Christian whom God has called into that bank to live your life out loud for Jesus to represent him well. And the students got that. And the students of this ministry, for three years, and I'll tell you a little bit more of the backstory as we get into the word, but for three years, the students of this ministry, they loved me. They showed me the life of Jesus reflected uh, through their lives. Remember, I had not seen that. Four years of high school, I had never seen a friend who loved Jesus. They loved me. They showed me the life of Jesus reflected through their lives, and they prayed. And friends, they prayed prayed. <laughs> they prayed. They prayed for over three years. Um, I'm a little hard-headed, uh, and so it took them over three years uh, before they started to see the fruit of their prayers and their love and their labor in my life. In fact, I got um, I got hired at my university campus in one of their kind of like a student government position. To be honest, I don't know how I got the role. I think I was completely unqualified for it, but Jesus just set me up, give, gave me that role before I even knew him, Because the the lady who was the staff advisor uh, for that particular position was a phenomenal Christian lady. A phenomenal Christian lady. She and her husband went to the Assemblies of God church in our town that loves students. It was the Assemblies of God church where a lot of our, the students went. And this lady, one day we were driving back from a meeting. We had a meeting off campus and uh, we're driving back and, you know, just kind of getting to know each other. And she asked me, she says, well, where are you with God? And we were driving 65 miles per hour on the highway. And I'm thinking, I can't get out. You know what I'm saying? Some of you may have had like a, you know, a friendship like that before you knew Jesus where you're like, I am trapped. You know what I mean? And I can either sit in this car for the next hour or I can try jumping. And I'm not sure I'm going to make it if I jump at 65. And she began to just, she just asked me, where, where are you with God? Well, by this point, as I had mentioned, I had lived in a pit. I felt like I was in a pit. And where at one point in my life, I would have said I believed that there was a God out there. I think if anything, I was a deist. I believe there was something out there. At this point, after the disillusionment and fear, I said to her, just gut level honest, I said, I'm not sure I even believe there's a God anymore. She began to tell me her story. She just started to tell me her story. I didn't know it was her testimony. I didn't know the Christian word for her story. You know what I mean? She just began to tell me her story. And as she described her story, she started telling me about the broken places of her life. And she told me about how Jesus came in and put the broken pieces together of her life. And I wouldn't have been able to put it in these words, but it was the first time I later was able to kind of put it into words. I, it was the first time I learned that God doesn't mind getting his hands dirty to bring new life. God is not afraid to get his hands dirty to bring new life. And I saw that, even if I couldn't express it, I saw that for the first time in this lady. Well, in the middle of our conversation, as she's telling me, and I'm thinking, wow, some, I feel like somebody maybe could understand my life. She said these words to me. She said, would you like to get together once a week and just talk about the things of God? And I meant to say no. A <laughs> true story. I meant to say no, but yes popped out of my mouth. And it, I mean, it popped out so quickly, it actually surprised me. And I was like, how can I get that back in there? You know, how can I just like, break? and I, I could not believe I said yes, but something happened in that moment when I said yes. And, and, and again, because she's telling me her story and I'm thinking, wow, this makes sense. And maybe, maybe this God might have something, it, something to say about my own brokenness And I said, yes. And I said, yes, I'll meet with you. And she said, here's the deal. She said, just come with any questions. She pointed me out to the Bible, pointed me to a Bible. And she said, just come with questions. She said, if I know answers, I'll share it with you. And if I don't know, we'll learn together. And somehow I knew then she wasn't trying to play me. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't trying to say, I've got it all figured out. I'm up here. You're down there. Maybe one day you could be like me. I loved the integrity the fact she said, if I don't know, we'll learn together. And I love the fact that, friends, this woman, she's not in full-time ministry. She's not a missionary. She's a, basically the, the staff advisor, like a guidance counselor for university students. She, you know what I'm saying? She just went to her everyday job and saw a moment where God could use her, and it awakened my life. I love that. She didn't, she didn't go to seminary to do this. She just loved Jesus and I, I, it's so beautiful. In the midst of that, I started to meet with her. And as I said, just once a week, I'd go in with all my questions. And she said this to me one time. She said, I'm just going to ask you this once. She said, I'm going to leave an open invitation if you ever want to come to church with me. She said, I won't keep bothering you. She said, I, I just, I'll ask you this one time. And just, just so you know, there's an open invitation. And at the same time, I'm getting to know her. I'm getting to know her husband. They welcomed me into their life. And one day I just decided, I think, I think I want to go. It was about maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks after, after um, six or eight weeks after she had given the invitation. And on a Sunday evening service, I'm sitting in the back. And I think I shared this story when I visited with you all here about five years ago. Jesus just became so real. And I felt like the Lord nudged my heart and said, Stephanie, I want all of you. Uh, I don't want 90%. I don't want 99%. I want all of your heart. And that night, just sitting in the back, my friend turned to me and said, are you ready? And I said, yes, I'm ready to give my life completely to Christ. And, and just, again, just sitting there in the back, Jesus met me. Jesus showed up. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't walk to the altar. He walked to get me. <laughs> and I said, yes. And that day, everything changed. Everything. I mean, there's still parts of me that had needed some help. I mean, still to this day. How many of you guys are, I know you're all cooked, right? You guys are all cooked, you know? I mean, I, you know, but I, I, I still have some cooking to do, but, but everything in terms of, of, of my, I don't know, I, that's the day that I was born again. I just remember, and, and I was in the process of applying to law school, and I won't go into the entire story again, but uh, somehow in the midst of that process, God redirected me away from law school and into serving with this ministry with, called Chi Alpha. Uh, I, I love to say that I am the grateful fruit of this ministry, and I'm so incredibly thankful that there were students who didn't, they understood they were Christians who happened to be students. They wanted to show me Jesus. They wanted to love me. They wanted to pray me into the kingdom. And there was a, an, one other person that God used who just said, you know what? I just, I'm going to reach out. I'm just going to love this person. I'm just going to ask her, where are you with God? And then invite her into a relationship. Because of that, my life changed forever. And I learned that God is not afraid to get his hands dirty to bring new life. And friends, I've had 30 years now. I'm—I I'm, just recently hit 30 years of working with Kai I can't even believe it. I started when I was two, and. Um, no. <laughs> 30 years of seeing Jesus get his hands dirty to bring new life into students. And I just want to thank you. As Before we get into the word, I want to thank you, Lighthouse, because you get to be a part of that. You are a part of that. And it's such an honor for me when I walk onto a university campus, when I meet with a student or a young staff, I don't go alone. Lighthouse goes with me. And and I'm serious. There, there are times I remember meeting with a student. We were up at the University of Maryland and there was a, a guy named John. He was a postdoc student from China. And I was sitting next to John when one of our staff handed him a Bible in his native tongue. And I I just literally couldn't believe it. I was sitting next to him as his eyes fell on the word of God for the very first time. I thought, how did I get a chance to be here and watch this moment? About three months ago, I was with uh, students from three campuses in New England, spent the weekend with them over a student retreat. I had such a blast because so many of them are from a background that they don't know Jesus at all. In fact, one of the staff reminded me, he said, I know you're gonna speak on, on the story about Gabriel and Mary tonight. He said, I just wanna remind you, a lot of our students don't know who Mary is. He said, you just gotta make sure. And I, I just love that. And I was like, bring it on, man. Are you kidding me? I just, let's let's dig in and, and, and really just help introduce for the very first time to a lot of these students who don't yet know Jesus. And I think about one young man I'll call Kevin who had just come to Boston University from a nation where it's not easy to hear the gospel, and he he got there. He was kind of not sure how he got there. He had been invited by one of our staff, and he was like, "Okay, I'll go." <laughs> you know, he just showed up to our re- retreat, not knowing that you know we're, we're I, and maybe he knew we were a campus ministry, but I don't think he knew really what was going to happen. And I watched him kind of really tentatively come in to over the course of the weekend, just begin to open his heart, open his life so much more. And and I, he didn't make a commitment yet to that. At the end of the retreat, that I. Know of, but it was so fascinating to watch him begin to open up to the things of faith. I think for the very first time. Friends, you guys get to be a part of that. Anytime I walk onto a campus, Lighthouse goes with me. And I want to personally thank you for that because I'm so incredibly, incredibly grateful. There are more stories that I can tell, friends. Heaven will be rich. And I'm telling you what, we will have a reunion. How about that? Let's have a reunion with the students. Every one of these stories of these students, and there are so many, have been knitted into the fabric of God's greater story. And even though I come to you as a missionary, uh, I'm a missionary to university students, university campuses, I would contend that missions is not something we necessarily do, uh, but it is the very nature of God. It is the very nature. It it isn't something we do, but it's the nature of God. It It is a reflection. It's an overflow of who he is, and I would contend as we get into the word, it becomes an overflow of who we are, wherever he has us. This is our God who from the very beginning in the garden, the very nature of God was to go after the ones who had lost their way. Man, what a good God we have. You know what I'm saying? What a good God we have. And there are two passages I can't help but think about uh, as we get into this morning. That I just can't help but think about with that that we're going to spend a few moments on. In Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27, I think we've got a slide up here. Uh, It says, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us or in our likeness. In verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Have you ever just thought, oh my goodness, I bear the image of God? I mean, I don't know if you ever have, I mean, it almost feels a little weird because it's not about me, it's about him, but it's stunning to me that God will look at at us, at humanity, humankind, and say, I'm going to put my image in that soul. You know I mean? Truly the thing that makes us different from everything else, I mean, nothing else bears the image of God the way humans do. We actually bear the image of God. And as believers, those of us who know him, what I love about this is it reminds me that I don't serve a king who is distant. I serve a king who literally stamped his image on my soul. I mean, friends, that's got to change the way we walk through the day. You know what I'm saying? If you know that you have been stamped with the image of God versus not knowing that you've stamped with the, by the image of God, that'll change the way you walk through town. You know what I'm saying? Or at least it should. Heaven help me. I'm still, remember, I'm still cooking. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, but, but to know that we've been stamped with the image of God. And then I've got to wonder, how does God feel when he looks at someone who bears his image? How does he feel when he, when he looks at someone who bears his image? How valuable is that soul to God? And what does it mean to know that you bear the image of God? I had a student one time uh, before, I, I currently live in Missouri serving in our National Ministry Center, uh, but prior to that I was here part of this district, and for five years I lived on a university campus in Washington, D.C. It was a campus they invited me in to serve as a chaplain in residence. It wasn't necessarily a gospel um, expression. They had chaplains from all different faith backgrounds, uh, but I was invited in to, to be provide pastoral presence, pastoral care for students, and my first building I had 440 students, most most of them, I would not say we're walking with Jesus, uh, but I had one young woman who would who made an appointment with me one day. I got an email, "Hey, can I meet with you?" I said, "Sure, come on in." It was a Sunday evening, and she comes in, and, and I, I said, "Well, what brings you in?" She said, "Well." I'm, I'm taking this class, everybody, all the freshmen have to take two theology classes in this school. And she said, I'm taking this class called the problem of God. And she said, we're reading all these philosophers about the you know, that are writing for the existence of God. And then we read philosophers writing against the existence of God. She said, but here's the problem. I've, ne- before this class, I've never heard about God. She said, "I've just never." She and she actually said, "I've never even heard the name of God, like God." She, I, "I've never heard that." And I was like, "Really? Where were you born?" She's like, "Oh, you know, Where'd you grow up?" And she said, "I was I was raised in Ohio." And I'm like, "Okay, I know Jesus is in Ohio, but I couldn't figure out why she, you know." I was like, "Wow, you've never heard?" She said, "I have never heard." She said, "So can I meet? Can I talk to you about about God and what all this means?" I was like, "Absolutely." I'm thinking this is what I live for. Are You kidding me? And uh, so we started meeting, and and as she started to describe her worldview. And she really kind of, I would say she was really a materialist. She didn't believe there was anything beyond what we can, you know, see, feel, whatever. And that's it. No human soul. Once you die, that's it. Everything's done. And that's where, that's where she was. She's like, so I don't understand this whole God thing. And I, and I was able to say to her, I'm a Christian. I, I have a biblical worldview. I believe in the Bible. And, and I started to describe to her how I view humanity based on this passage that we were created in the image of God that God stamped his image in us. And she was just kind of outside of her realm, but you know, she said okay. Well, we met several times. She kept coming back for more appointments and she was she was a little challenging at times. She did not believe that a person was valuable unless they made a contribution to society. She said the only way you're valuable is if you actually do something for the world. And so she said, and obviously I don't agree with this. She said, so if you see somebody living on the street who's not contributing to society, that person has no value. I said, well, I said, I'm a Christian. I have a biblical worldview. And I believe that God stamped his image on that person. I don't know why they're in that situation, but I know that they are valuable to God. He stamped his image on them. Another day she came back and she said these words were a little more shocking to me and we were talking about she said you know as you get older she said once you hit 30 your body goes into decline and i was like well that's fair i you know no, i know <laughs> she she said but here's the thing she said since there is no soul there's no eternity there's no nothing beyond this world what we can see and feel she said and these were her words she said at 30, rather than watching your body go into decline, she said, it probably just makes sense to commit suicide. True true story. And I, I pause and I, you know, I mean, no one had ever said that to me. And I paused. I said, well, as someone who's a little north of 30, (laughs) um, I said, let me tell you why I wouldn't subscribe to that. And I talked about just everything that has, how I've developed as a person. I said, you know, in my 20s, I was a lot more insecure. Once I hit 30, something into my 30s. And at the time I was, I think, 43 at the time. And I said, I've just, what I have, I, I just am so much more comfortable in my skin. I know what I have to offer. I know who I am a lot more than when I was younger. So I wouldn't go through that. I wouldn't do that. I said, and also I've been, and she stopped me and she's like, I know, stamped, stamped by God. Now, I don't know what that young woman eventually um, subscribed to. She left, she finished the school year out and went on and has since graduated. But I do know that she will never be able to have a thought like that again without pausing and saying, wait a second, I've been stamped. I've been stamped with the image of God. I bear the image of God. What does it mean for us to know that we bear the image of God And what does it mean for us to know that we bear the image of a missionary God? A God who from the very beginning went looking for, and as I said, seeking the ones who had lost their way. And what might it mean for our communities if we carried that message? I'd like to introduce a, another passage here that I think goes along with this, and then we're going to get a little bit more practical. Um, not, not more practical, but you know what I'm saying. We're going to get into a couple things there that I think will be very practical. That's the Old Testament passage, that I, and I think there's a corresponding New Testament passage that follows along with us, and it's in this. In Ephesians 2.10, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, "'For we are his workmanship.'" created in Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about being created in the image of God in the Old Testament, now the New Testament, talking about how we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, could be translated, we are his work of art. Another way that it's translated is we are his masterpiece. Uh, The word that's written there in the Greek, I, I am Greek, I Eat Greek. I don't speak Greek, um, but I, I have a computer who does. And so uh, it, it's the word, it's a word that looks in a lot like poem. In other words, we are God's poem that he has written to the world. We, we, God has penned his story through our lives. We are his masterpiece. We are his poem. We are his work of art that he writes, that he has created to tell the story of his love. But it says this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In other words, we were created in the image of God. We were created as God's masterpiece. Why? For good works. Are the good works what save us? No, Paul said right before that, he's like, it's, it's by grace, it's by faith, it's not by works that you've been saved. However, you have been saved and now I've made you for good works. What are those good works? I would like to submit something to you that we regularly submit to our students, that we regularly try to speak to our students about what it means to do these good works. These are something that our ministry holds dear. I, I would say they're not, they're not anything revelatory in the sense that um, it's not like, whoa, I never thought about that before. But I, I say, I would, I would quote my pastor from D.C., Mark Batterson always used to say, we tend to forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget. Anybody done that before? Hello. <laughs> Some people are like, oh, I see that hand. I see that. <laughs> uh, sometimes I, I think we forget what we should remember when it comes to these very simple things. How might God be calling us to be like him in these areas? We share this with our students. We call them to go, give, pray, and welcome. Go. I think a lot of times people have an image of what university students are like. Um, I don't know, I don't know, MTV wild crazy stuff or whatever, I don't know, is this MTV and still on? <laughs> it's been, it's been, um, you know, there, there's all these shows, and you see these things in the news, students doing absolutely crazy things. But let me tell you what our students did over the course of March and even now, spring break and just now as they're ending school. We had 236 teams of students go around the world to use their spring break to serve and bring the gospel literally around the world. Over the course of March, because spring breaks roll, 236 teams, we've got another 71 teams going out right about now, soon as school ends, is usually when it is. I have a list of nations that our students have been to. They've been all over the United States on campuses and in and in, and in like the Dream Center and things like that. But our students, I mean, literally the list of of of, uh, countries that our students have been going to and are in now start with um, Albania and go to Zanzibar. I'm not even kidding, literally A to Z. Some places where I'm like, wow, I didn't even know we can get in there, you know? I mean, they are going, and here's the thing, they are going to serve the embedded missionaries. They are going to share the gospel. They are going because um, God is gonna use this time to reshape their hearts into the shape of his heart, which I am convinced is in the shape of a globe, You know what I'm saying? These students are going to go, they're going to serve, they're going to share, and then God is going to reshape them as well so that when they come back and they graduate, they're going to be part of our church's giving so that more can go. Hello? You know what I'm saying? I love that. What does going mean for you? Because that's what it means for our students. What does going mean for you? Going for me at times has meant walking down a dusty path in Morocco, taking the gospel to a family that was outside of some village. We met them. They invited us into their home. All four of us on our team, literally, I remember walking down a dusty path, going in and spending time with them. We ended up leaving them a Bible that was, half, that was in Arabic and in English. And the one man in their family who spoke English said to the guys on our team, he said, a Bible. He said, we've always wanted to see one of these, but we've never been able to. There have been times when going for me meant walking down that dusty road in Morocco. There are times going for me means walking across my street to talk to my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet. Big John, I call him. He's a big old gruff military guy. My goodness, he is completely inappropriate. I'm telling you what. <laughs> I am telling you what, man, the guy, you know, every time I, like, he says something and his wife rolls her eyes and I'm like, John, come on, man, you know I mean? He just, he's totally inappropriate. But, but going for me means going across the street to see Big John. Going for me sometimes means, well, oftentimes means going to see my family. I, I go to see my family because I love my family, but I've got family members who don't know Jesus, so I know that even when I'm just going to see my family, I'm not just going to see my family, I'm going to see my family. I am going to see my family. How, my, how might God be calling us to be like him as we go? And where is it God asking you to go? So that's go. Number two is give. Again, I don't know what people think about university students and how they spend their money, but at one of our regional conferences in January, we have eight regions around the U.S. One of our regions in January, the students there took up an offering. There were 1,015 students and staff in that, in that region. They raised $95,000 in one day to feed kids around the world to send money to kids around the world who are living in poverty. College students. College students. Gave ninety-five thousand, and just that was just one. And friends, that was just one of the eight areas. <laughs> that wasn't everybody. That was one of our eight areas. But I specifically asked them, and and they told me they they literally they're part of giving to organizations like Feed One, part of Convoy of Hope, just because we want to be able to just you know give it through our, our our larger movement, just so they could get it into the hands and into the bellies of kids who who need to eat college students did that, you guys. Here's, here's the thing. I love this because I, you know, just like I said, missions is not something we do. It's who God is. Generosity isn't something we do. It's who God is. You know what I'm saying? We don't just give out of generosity because, oh, this is a good idea. This is a good cause. It is who our God is. You know what I'm saying? Actually, the word generous is so fabulous. It's from a Latin word that means of noble birth. And I'm convinced that we are called to be generous because we are of noble birth. We are children of the king. Because our God, because our king is generous, we bear his image, so we are generous too. Our students got that. (laughs) Our students, they lived, they showed that they knew that they were of noble birth. They were children of the king. Because they lived in generosity. Oh my goodness, I was so proud of them. I was like, are you kidding me? That Okay, I want to take another offering. I mean, I was like, let's give them something else to give to. And I know they would have kept giving. And I love that. We give because he is a giver. We give because that's who he is. We give because being his, it is in our nature to be generous. Because that's how he made us to be. Amen? How might God be calling us to be like him as we give? So we go, we give, we pray. I shared with you about the students who prayed for me uh, on my campus. Uh, there was one particular student who kind of started it all. It was the RA of our little hall. I lived in a hall of 350 people, but our little section was 21. And the RA, or the resident assistant of our section, was a guy named Dennis. Dennis had come in, and he had prayed over every single one of us in our little section before we ever stepped foot on campus. Literally before my first day on campus, someone from Chi was praying for me by name. Somebody called my name out to Jesus before day one. Oh my goodness. So Dennis went through and he prayed over our hall, he prayed over our beds, our desks, he prayed over our doorways, the whole thing. He prayed, he went this is back in the day now. I don't know if anyone's a current college student where you when you're trying to find a roommate, you can do it online now and meet each other on Facebook. Back then we used to chisel it out on a stone, you know, and just, you know, this is what I like to do. This is how messy I am and I remember writing out that thing on this little pink card, this rectangular card, all my information. And you're just like putting everything you can there, hoping that they give you a good roommate and Dennis Dennis said, told me later, he said he literally laid hands on those cards and asked Jesus who he should put together as roommates. Now here's what's really cool about that is he put me with a young woman named Sandy and she, Sandy was a backslidden Christian, and she, honestly, we were kind of party buddies at the time. But I came home one day on a Sunday afternoon in April of my freshman year, and I wanted to tell her about a guy I met. And I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, I have something to tell you too. And, and I said, you go first. She said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ today. Okay, that is not what I was going to tell her. <laughs> That's it's not, it's not, not what I had on my list. I, I had never heard anybody say those words to me. I was like, what do you mean you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Yeah. And I literally, my first question, I don't know if I shared this before. I, my first question was, will you still party with me? <laughs> Poor thing. She was about three hours old in her faith, having to come to terms. She's like, I shouldn't get drunk anymore. She said, I, when I get drunk, I'm out of control. Jesus is in control of my life. Jesus is in the driver's seat of my life. So no, I'm not going to party with you anymore. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me right now? I mean, I just led her right into sobriety or whatever, you know, right into abstinence there. And and I remember hearing, shes I'm like, Jesus is in the driver's seat. Of your life. I am. She had a little red Honda, and I imagined Jesus driving her little red Honda. <laughs> True story, it was one of those really tiny, tiny ones back in the day. It was like it was more of a roller skate. And um, but I imagined, and I, I but here's the thing: my, my roommate, I, I'd come home and there'd be a Bible open on the bed. I'd be like, What's that doing there? You know. But she started going to all the Chi Alpha meetings saying, We need to pray for Stepha. Stepha's my nickname. She said, We gotta pray for Stepha. Stepha has to meet Jesus. And then the more and more Kiapa people were praying for me, loving me, showing me Jesus. They just did not give up. My neighbors, I have two neighbors on my street. I have 11 houses on my street. I live on a little house. I, I met my neighbors when I moved there Paul and Judy. Paul and Judy, uh, Paul I think is 81 now, Judy is 79. When I met them, they introduced themselves and Paul said, somehow had gotten word on the street that I'm from an Assemblies of God background, because I live in Springfield, Missouri, so like half the street is AG. And um, Paul said, here you go to Assemblies of God church, we go to Second Baptist, will you forgive us? You know, (laughs) and um, I said, Paul, I think that makes us brother and sister in Christ. And I was, I, a handful of months ago, I was, I was leaving and I saw Paul and Judy standing on the driveway and they were kind of facing each other. It looked a little bit odd until I realized what they were doing. They are praying over our street. Paul and Judy pray over our street. I bet they pray over our street every day. I'm pretty sure they do. But at that time, because they could get out and it was safe, no ice and stuff, they, they come out to the driveway, pray over our street. Oh man, you guys. How might God be calling us to be like him in praying? We go, we give, we pray, and we welcome. When I lived in Northern Virginia and then in D.C., a couple different places I lived in high-rise buildings, I realized at one point in one of my buildings, 25 nations were represented in my building. I don't know. I think there were probably 300 units or something like that in there. 25 nations represented Jesus brought the nations to my home i mean i'm i'm we, we we have to go and we need to keep sending people to go, but I don't want to miss the fact that He brings people here. He brought them twenty five nations into my building. He brings international students. that's a big part of who we are and what we do in Chi Alpha. We love international students it's 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 like God brings the best and the brightest from different nations. They have to learn our language, then He plops them on our campus. Are you kidding me? Like how could we how could we miss that opportunity to love them into the kingdom? I remember one young woman named Tamika on my campus. She was from Japan. Uh, as I understand, there's not there's not a huge gospel um, representation in Japan. I think it's it's pretty secular. So she didn't come from a background where where there was a Christian faith. And I remember some of our students reached out to her. They were connecting with her. And um, I remember hearing that she just wasn't sure about it. You know, she just, she liked our students. She liked being a part of our group, but she just, she had not given her life to Christ. And learned later that part of the reason was that she figured that Jesus was an American God or a God for Americans, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's some people who think that Jesus is American. I mean, you know, like, like he's Lord of the whole earth. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but that was her thing. She was just like, well, he must just be for Americans. And she believed that until one day when he spoke to her in Japanese. She came back to our students and said, I now know that Jesus is just not an American God. They said, how did you know? He spoke to me in my native language. She was welcomed in. And that gave room for Jesus to be able to speak to her because she was welcomed into a community of faith. She had some construct, some ability to hear about Jesus so that when he talked to her, she could recognize it was him. Friends, how might we be about the business of welcoming people so that they could hear the voice of God? Maybe we need to welcome them to our tables and they hear a little bit about Jesus. And then when he speaks to them, they know, oh, that must be the Jesus they were talking about. I love that. I love that. Welcoming. How might God be calling us to be like him as we welcome both the nations and our neighbors? From the beginning, friends, and we'll wrap up here in a moment. From the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden, God seeks after his people. Uh, It is his nature. And I will echo something. Uh, Pastor Ken said this, I think it was during the service, although it might have been in the middle, in between. Um, there's a passage. I actually, I shared this passage last time I was with you. I'm not going to repeat, preach the whole message because <laughs> you're hungry for lunch. But it was a passage that has always meant something to me. And it says in Psalm 14, 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. And I remember reading that passage thinking, it just struck me, if God, if you're looking for someone who will seek you, I want you to find me seeking you. You know, because when you love somebody, you want to do what's going to make them happy. And God sees a lot of people seeking a lot of other things. Hello, when we leave here today, we'll see people seeking all kinds of things that are not God. But if it would make God happy that I would seek him, I want God to look down from heaven and say, there's Stephanie, she seeks me. But I do remember there was a time I didn't know how to seek God, never even crossed my mind. I didn't know how to seek God. I didn't even know. Remember, God was the farthest thing from my mind. And when I think about that, then I think about Isaiah 65. When, when the Lord said to Isaiah, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call my name, I said, here am I, here am I. The beauty of our God, he does want us to seek him. And, and I'm signing up. I'm saying, yes. Anyone want to join me? You know what I'm saying? Anyone joining me? And, and here's what's amazing is that even when we don't know how, <laughs> he will still seek out after us. You know what I'm saying? So there are people in your life, he's seeking after them. You're like, how in the world am I ever going to be able to talk to this person about Jesus? And he's, and God's like, I got you. You know, I, I, I'm already working in their life. All you got to do is do what I ask you to do, you know? And, and whatever, whatever that, give, go, pray, welcome, whatever that is, you know, invite. Uh, but God's like, I, I, I'm actually, I I'm actually on the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I know what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm doing a work of, see, I'm drawing them. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I remember one day, and we'll wrap this up in just, just a moment. I remember one day being at a conference. I, I'm pretty sure it was like a youth conference at a, a local church in our area. And the reason I say it was youth is because uh, not everybody had cars. And the reason I say that is because that parking lot, we there were some like buses and cars here, but the entire parking lot was empty. It was just this huge, at least like a football field of a parking lot. And the, the entrance was right over here and there was just nothing. It was like all fenced in down there. And, and I'm standing there talking to a good friend of mine and we're, talking and also it's like I see something out of the corner of my eye way down the way. And I look over, my friend and I look over and at the end of the parking lot, which again is is clear, we see like this very small child walking around in a place where we can't figure out for the life of us, who is that child? Why is that child walking around by itself? And how did it get there? And my friend, we look over there, we look at each other and in an instant we take off and we run the whole way down the thing. And as we get closer, we realize that there is this like toddler just walking around by herself we're able to see it's a little girl and and I would say she's been between maybe 18 months and two years you know she was mobile but she was not verbal like she was that young she could she could not speak and and she's literally just standing there just with this lost look in her eyes and I'm thinking how again how in the world did she get here and where is her mother or her father you know what I mean like how is this happening and and so we My friend and I look, and I I didn't want to scare her, and so I I just got down real low like this. I just got down, and I put my arms out, and amazingly, she came to me. I couldn't believe it, because I'm I'm a stranger. But, you know, she was a little disoriented, and she came into my arms, and I picked her up, and I'm looking around, I'm like, what in the world? And I see over there on the fence, maybe, closer than maybe from here to the wall, and I see it's like a chain link fence that is covered in ivy, and except that I see that there's like a cut through somewhere, you know, there's somebody had cut through that area, and I realized, oh, the child came from the other side of the fence, wandered into the parking lot by herself, and I'm thinking, oh man, somebody has got to be terrified right now. Because she, you know, somebody... Somebody is figuring out the the baby's gone and can't see the baby because of the of the ivy. And it, so my friend and I go through there, go through the cut through, and get on the other side of the fence and realize there's a whole neighborhood over there that we couldn't see because of the ivy. As we're walking there, and I'm thinking, you know, how in the world are we going to find? Do you just walk, knock on the door? Hi, you're missing a child. I mean, I didn't know what to do. But as we walk by maybe the first house or so, we hear this screaming. Of this lady, and we see her, she's running out of her house. My baby, my baby. She's running in terror because her baby's gone. And as we walk up, somewhere pretty quickly, she sees us, and it's obvious what's happening. So I didn't feel like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> should I really give you this child? It was obvious what was happening. And my friend and I walk up, and I hand the baby over back to her mother. And friends, I will never forget the terror that that mama had. I don't know if you've ever, I mean I I don't have kids. I I but I've heard from my friends who have kids like some they mo- they move sometimes. You're like, where where where'd he go? You know what I mean? Like they're they're slippery, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget the look of terror on her face. I'll never forget the scream, the, the the yell my you know, and I will never forget the joy on her face when that baby got placed back in her arms. I'll never forget the relief. I'll never forget the joy on her face. And I just, you know, walking away, just go, oh, my goodness, like how terrifying. But I don't want to forget the joy when that baby came home, when I placed that baby back in home's arms. I think about that a lot when I think about what we get to be a part of with regard to, I don't know, going, giving, praying, welcoming, reflecting the image of Christ, the image of our good, good God, and i can't help but think about his joy i i had i was praying this morning and This part wasn't in my message actually today, but the Lord reminded me of the passage in Luke 15, you know, we've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, if you're familiar with that, if you've taken a lap through the book of Luke, um, that passage there where it's talking about uh, the lost sheep, it says the sheep wandered away. The sheep probably didn't really, maybe didn't totally know it was lost, maybe it was a little disoriented like that girl. That little girl couldn't say, I'm lost. She just knew she wasn't home. And it says there that when the shepherd left the 99 to go get the one, it said he put the sheep on his shoulders joyfully. Go back and read it. There's so much joy in this little passage. He joyfully put that sheep back on his shoulders. And then it says he went back and told his friends, rejoice with me for the one who is lost has been found. And then it says, heaven will rejoice. The shepherd rejoiced, the friends rejoiced, and heaven rejoiced when that one came back home. Oh, man, that is the heart of our God. That is the heart of our God. If you feel like, I can never live up to God's expectations, let me send you to Luke 15. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've done. I don't, I, I don't know what you're, whatever. But when God brought you home, I, I hope you didn't miss the joy. Seriously, I hope you didn't miss the joy. I just read a, uh, a, a little study and it was talking about what young adults, if they had a question to God, what would it be? And the main question that came up is, is God mad at me? I bet a lot of people live like that. Really, seriously, let's not miss the joy on the father's face. And then friends, let's remember that we are called to be image bearers of our very good God. Our God who has joy bringing a stinky old sheep home. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That can't smell good. And, And the shepherd had joy. Our father has joy when people come home. Amen. And we get to be a part of that. If you know Jesus today, you get to be a part of that. If you don't know Jesus today, I don't know everyone in the room. If you don't know Jesus today, you need to know God's not mad at you, but he wants you home. He's ready to bring you home. He wants to kind of pick you up, carry you home with joy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to stand if you're able. Just in whatever way is familiar to you, just kind of make yourself just open to God. Just open to God. God, I'm yours today. God, I'm yours. God, I I you've made me to bear your image. It's stunning, God, that I would bear the image of God. It's stunning that I could. I was created in your likeness, God. And then it's stunning. I was created in Christ Jesus, part of your masterpiece, part of your work of art that you call your church, that you call your body. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a brush stroke. I'm a stroke of the pen, part of this larger poem of this love story you're writing to the world. God, I can't believe I get to be a part of that today. God, I pray for my friends here in this room, for every single one. If they live under that thing, wow, God is probably just mad at me all the time. I'm never living up. Lord, I pray that they would have, uh, they'd have moments of just seeing the joy of the Father's face. I I pray, uh, even like we sang, here in your presence, I am undone. I, I pray that those things that might keep us from knowing that like you actually are joyful about us would be undone. And then like Isaiah, we would say, here am I. In the name of Jesus, here am I. God, I want to bear your image to the world. I want to, I want to go, give, pray, and welcome in a way just like you. And I pray that for my friends here today. Just here in the quietness of of the presence of God. And God just, He's just here. Just offer yourself to God. And then ask God, God, what is there something you want me to do? What are the good works you have for me now? Is there, do I need to go across the street, across town? God, is there a way you want me to give? I I don't want to just do generous. I want to be generous. I want to be like you in being generous. God, is there a way you want me to pray? God, is there some way I can welcome somebody in so that they can see Jesus so that when you speak to that person, they know who's talking to them? Just in the quietness of, of our moment here in the presence of God, let God whisper those things to you. And then my prayer for us all, I pray this, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to live it out. If you call us to go, to give, to pray, to welcome, if you call us in a, I don't know, unique way to to be that image bearer, Lord, give us the courage to do it, knowing that you go ahead of us. You got this. You're on the job. All we got to do is be like you as you call us to yourself. And I pray this today in the very precious and powerful name of King Jesus.